What did you study at university? For my undergraduate degree, I did an arts degree, majoring in, um, I did a double history major and an English lit major. Um, I, that wasn't the end of my study though. I then did a graduate diploma in primary education. A little later on, I did, I started a diploma in teaching exceptional children which I only did um, 12 months of and then I was working full time and stopped. And much later on, I started a Masters in Arts in Local History and um, completed a PhD in History after that. Over a number of years I studied and researched and wrote. Can you remember what your university experience was like? I really liked going to university after high school. I loved the study and the subjects and the environment at the university. In those days there was a lot going on. There was um, a lot of groups of people who were interested in social justice causes and so it was just it was a really stimulating environment. Having said that, um, University of Queensland was also a large university and when you did an arts degree you didn't actually belong to one set group so you did have to be fairly independent and able to meet new people and and get yourself involved in other activities so um, as well as my studies I was I played I played netball um, in a UQ team I was involved in some student politics, so there was always something to do and it was a stimulating environment. Do you find that universities are delivered in a different way mm. now? I think universities have changed um, in very important ways. I was the first year of students who had actually completed high school without doing external exams. So we were used to a semester system but when I started university it was new to the university and um, I was involved in a debate about the positives and negatives of the semester system and I think some of the things that I argued as negatives I think have come to fruition over the time um, that I've observed higher education. I think the biggest change that's happened in university is that it's no longer free. Um, this is a very important change and I know that I was teaching in a uh, university situation and some students now are working up to 30 hours a week and uh, being full-time students. Now this is partly possible because of the new style of delivery that lectures are now, lecture notes are now online so students can actually miss lectures and still catch up and there seems to be less emphasis on interactive learning in the sense of the teacher-student interaction and this requires a lot of self-reliance I think on the part of the student and it also denies a really important element in teaching and learning that not only the, the listening and talking with someone who's uh, an expert or very experienced in their field, but also 
the ideas and thinking that can come from students talking with each other, asking questions, answering questions, and just having interesting discussions about things. And I don't think there's time for that anymore. And do you think that lack of discussion between students and between students and their lecturers is impacting on the, those students going into then the workforce or into outside of the university? I'm not sure if I can really comment on that. Um, I think one of the things that's happened, and this is what we argued about the changes in high school education, is that we've encouraged competition between individual students. So students are very conscious that they need to do better than other students, so they may not be as helpful or cooperative with each other and I think that is true in the workplace now as well that it's very competitive so perhaps we aren't encouraging that cooperative supportive sort of work um, attitude but I, I really don't feel I can comment on um, the transfer from university to the workplace. You've mentioned there that you were you're involved in the teaching as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that side of some of what it's like to be a lecturer or teacher? Mm, okay, I've had a varied career in education. I started as a primary school teacher, and then I taught as a high school teacher. I did some teaching at TAFE, and then I taught at Central Queensland University. So I've really covered most of the sectors. <laughs> Uh, at at the university level, what can I say? <laughs> I suppose I've observed I observed the change that happened with the Dawkins educational changes, where you've probably you're probably not familiar with this, but at one point we had a limited number of universities and we had something called colleges of advanced education, and the change that came about was that all of those institutions became universities. So we increased the number of universities and some of that change was a bit rapid, I think, that people teaching within those institutions didn't always have the academic qualifications that had traditionally been required of university lecturers, but um, that gradually has been a catch-up. But then we've seen another major change where we've really corporatised education. We said to universities, you've got to make your own way, you have to make money. And so um, not only do we need to keep students at university because they're funded according to the number of students that you have, but we started the whole thing of selling our education and so we brought in um, students from overseas who paid much more and, and therefore they were playing an important role in keeping the Australian tertiary education system running, but with consequences, I think, because the numbers of students in lectures increased. Uh, it Sometimes there was resentment towards the foreign or overseas students because they were quite demanding and they could, I think, unfortunately, there can be an element of racism that can be generated through that and often the undergraduate students didn't 
look at the wider picture and understand that their education was partly being funded by the overseas students as well. Yeah, so I think they have all changed the character of the university. But the other thing that really changed in universities is, and I think this was one of the consequences that I argued over 30 years ago about the, the semester system, was that with the semester system you have constant assessment. And if you add to that now the number of students who also need to work almost full time just to survive, they don't have time to be involved in cultural activities, political activities and so on. So you end up very much with an attitude to education that is very output driven. So we're focused on getting our assessment done, getting the grades for that, moving on, completing the degree, getting out there. And there's nothing wrong with education having a long-term outcome, but we've lost the joy of learning and the challenge of learning. And I think uh, we're selling our current students short in that we're really not necessarily giving them a, a holistic educational experience and and there isn't the capacity or time to be involved in a lot of activities that don't necessarily have an assessment outcome but are important in the development of young people into mature adults who are going to make a contribution to our society. So knowledge for wisdom rather than knowledge for industry? Yeah, well, that's that sort of idea that, um, that not everything that has value is something that is going to be accessible and that is necessarily going to be part of your course assessment. Mm. So there are other things that help on the way. You know, I know myself when I was writing my PhD thesis that sometimes just having a really good discussion with another person who was familiar with your topic perhaps or just very interested and listened and asked questions, that after, after having that discussion, often an idea had crystallised that I was then able to go and write about and develop. But it happened because we were able to have that discussion. And so if we're too busy to be able to do that, we miss out on that those sorts of opportunities, I think. So what kind of changes have you seen happen for lecturers or teachers over the last period? I think there's been some really significant changes for um, people who work as academics. One of the big changes is, depending on which area they work in, there's a lot less jobs. So if you do postgraduate studies such as a PhD, they're really, for example, in history, there are not very many positions. So you may not actually be able to pursue that career. But if you do, and you're lecturing, then you have a fairly difficult road to follow now because you have to publish all the time. 
you, as a, an early career academic, would have quite a lot of teaching as well. And there's quite a lot of assessment and marking. So there's a lot of pressure on academics now. And then they've got to be involved in other activities within the faculty as well. There's got to be um, constant seeking of grants for research. So the life of an academic is actually quite stressful now and really the pay situation, their, their pay levels haven't really improved significantly. So in some respects you are better off as a teacher in the schooling system, in the school system than at university. Except of course that you do get some um, time to do research and writing, but it is very pressured now. So I think that's one of the things that's changed and the teaching itself has changed significantly, partly because of technology. Well, technology has allowed these changes, so there is a lot of education now delivered um, externally via um, the use of the internet and so on. And this means that now as an academic you've got to be quite, quite computer savvy, you've got to be able to use technology rather than talking or writing. You have to respond to students as well, say by email. And that's much more difficult than speaking face-to-face -face with somebody because if you're talking to somebody, you can see if they've understood what you've said or not. If you need to type uh, comments about an essay, if you're doing track changes or just responding to a question in an email, you have to be fairly thoughtful about what you say and how you say it. So all of that is very time-consuming. So for an academic now, just looking at all of their emails, either from students, other academics and so on, that can add one or two hours to their working day. So that's a change as well. The other really big change is of course um, the casualisation of labour. And I myself worked as a casual tutor lecturer for nine years. So that I think has an impact. It means that emerging academics are often doing their research and writing in their unpaid time. It means that it's, it's a real struggle for them to develop an, an academic career and that a great deal of their time is spent in the teaching learning situation. But if you're casual, you don't necessarily have the same support that you have if you're a full-time staff member. And I think it's particularly unfair that young people in their late 20s and 30s are in a situation where their future is not secure and that they have to go from contract to contract. This is not a healthy environment I think and really if you want cohesion and you want uh, staff that are happy and working well together I think people need more security and need to be able to make a greater commitment to their workplace.
and this doesn't necessarily happen with casual contracts. You also mentioned earlier about being involved in activities on the campus as well as politics. Um, do you, Have you noticed anything about student politics today in comparison to what happened? Well, I think one of the um, most serious things that happened was when the Liberal government basically killed student unions. Uh, previously, and certainly in my experience at University of Queensland, the student union was a very vibrant organisation. It looked after the interests of students. It ran health centres and you know, did training for self-defence courses for women and just did a whole lot of things. Um, subsidised sporting and activities, you know, and so on. And these things are much harder now because um, the unions can no longer ask for the fee in the same way. So I also think that we went, we've been through a period of politics where people have been very reluctant to stand out and and stand up and be counted. And so it goes partly back to the competitiveness. If you're going to say you've got to do very well, you're competing against each other, you're not going to find people wanting to stand up and be the one that's um, noticed in a political context or any other negative context because they're worried about getting a job at the end. So we've We've gone through a period, I think, where we have encouraged people not to say what they think, really, yes, and to encourage sort of uh, conformity, I guess, is the best um, way to put it. And and you could stand back and criticise young people and say that they don't care about the environment, they don't care about politics, but you do have to remember that a lot of them are struggling to survive. They're struggling to study full-time and survive economically, and often that takes up all their time and energy. And even though I would like to see them more politically active, I think we have to actually step back and look at why this isn't happening. Um, and just to sum it up, what did you think of Queensland being the smart state? I think we have to say that that is an example of very good political spin, that if we really want to be the smart state, then from preschool level we put the money and time into educating people and that we really make much more of an effort to maintain a good quality public education system. And just as universities have suffered since the Liberal government, I think that we have to acknowledge that so too has public education at the school level. And so if anything, the last 20 years have been contrary to input from governments into public education has worked against Queensland being a smart state. 
rather than um, creating the smart state. Saying something doesn't make it happen. Making it happen isn't all that difficult, but it does involve putting in the resources that are required. And, and the resources required are not only those of funding, you know, concrete physical resources in, in, such as buildings and um, equipment, but it's also training and in-servicing educators. And that really has become a struggle.